Hello, welcome to the Tai Chi Notebook Podcast. My name is Graham Barlow, and in this episode I'm talking to Seymour Yang, a long-time acquaintance of mine who is also something of a legend in the Jiu-Jitsu world, where he goes by the name Meerkatsu and is famous for his BJJ artworks, which get turned into beautiful t-shirts, rash guards and geese. Seymour is also a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and teaches at the Hodger Grace Academy in South Hertfordshire. So, it's no surprise that in this episode, we're highly focused on the art of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. We're talking right after we both attended the same Jiu-Jitsu seminar up in Stafford with Preet Mickelson. So that's where we start our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Seymour Yang, hello, how are you? Hello Graham, I'm fine, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me onto your lovely podcast. And um, No problem. We've met many times, of course, uh, and corresponded even longer. So our, 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 our connections go back a few years, don't they? They do, and in fact we bumped into each other just a couple of days ago, didn't we? At a seminar by Preet Mikkelsen, the, uh, That's right. the defensive jiu-jitsu master. How did you find it? I... I I didn't know what to expect because, you know, um, you and I have both watched his videos. I don't know if you've attended one of his seminars before. No, and I've watched all his Globetrotter seminars, but that's a different format. His Globetrotter seminars are one hour long. They have a very definite slot and he tries to pack as much in. Yeah. Because this was, he set his own agenda. It was a five hour thing. And that would, that, believe it or not, listeners, is part one of a two part seminar weekend. The yeah. first part was five hours. I, I wasn't there for the second part, but honestly, five hours was more than ample for me to really get a good understanding of what he was trying to show us, which was the mini baby bridge, which I did a bit of research for my write-up. And he hasn't posted any videos of it anywhere, um, mm. not even snippets. You have to pay, go onto his pay subscriber membership. It's quite canny. You have to go into his membership, Defensive BJJ website, to get the lowdown on the latest developments of his thing. And it's worth it, I think. Um, I don't know how you found it, but I found it, it sort of clicked with me after about an hour of drilling. And I was thinking, yeah. oh, yeah. okay, this, this, this really works. How odd. It's, it one, of, it's one of those, weird position. It's one of those things that I've, I thought to myself, because I, I was delayed getting there because of the M6 problems. Oh, yeah. And I missed like the first like 10 minutes of him talking so I missed the explanation of what we'd be doing and I just got the um by the time I got changed and ready I got the kind of right let's just give it a go bit so I was saying to my partner uh, oh ben, did you not get the bit where he explains um well he he first said look we're gonna do uh back escapes or back defense mm. and so we're gonna start with underhook bottom side and this is the baby bridge and he just showed a brief demonstration yeah, and that I was it. That. that was all. The, that, <laughs> that was that was probably where you entered. Yeah, I, I just I just kind of missed the brief demonstration, so I didn't quite know what we were doing, and it took me a while. But the, because he basically only taught two things in the whole seminar, which was the, which was the joke. I have only taught were you, you there two for things. day two as well. Yeah, day two was the same two things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of didn't miss anything, but I probably did miss a lot. So day two was how to shut down people retaking your back when they. They failed, and they do that Marcelo Garcia sort of go belly down, and then flip you round and try and take go back again. Right. It was how to right. shut all that down. 
Okay. So, it, but it was the same. You know, the, the answer of how do you shut it down is the same two things as you did in your day. So, it was just more yes. practice of the same. Yeah. Exactly. The I mean, same I, thing. I I really enjoyed it. I think uh, I would, next time I will definitely go for the full weekend and prepare properly. Um, and I saw people just taking videos, and he obviously doesn't mind as long as it's for personal consumption. And I might yeah. do that next time because there's yeah. there's just a lot of. He goes off on a tangent a bit, and there's a lot of information. And if you people, when people ask questions, he gives answers. That's actually the more interesting bit because mm. he doesn't necessarily think like you and I do as 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 a newbie coming into this technique. He thinks like he does, so he won't necessarily anticipate the kind of problems that we're having. So the only way, like you said, the only way to find out is to ask questions, even if it's a dumb one, like, what if he body triangles me, which was my question, and he just showed an answer, and I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. I asked a couple of questions. One of the questions I asked was, I I couldn't, my, my partner was having problems doing it, and I, not knowing enough about it, I couldn't fix what he was doing wrong. So I just said yeah. to Pre, how do I fix this? And look, I'm I'm choking him every time. And then he just said, right, public challenge then. And then drew me out to the front and said, try and choke me. Is that me. the one where I took a photo of you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Failing to choke him. <laughs> yeah. Shame um, as a black belt. You couldn't choke Pretel. <laughs> the answer is just do it better, isn't it? That's that's the normally the answer. Yeah. Or, or actually do what I'm telling you. Don't. Don't not do what I'm telling you. Is there. Also more precisely. That's, there that's of, the thing. Lots of was, subtle you details. You have to be very yeah. precise. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I would ever pick up on all the subtle details that he did on a video. So no. going to see him, I'd really recommend it because yeah. there's a yeah. there's like just a shoulder lift here, a slight yeah. turn there. Or him coming around and just sort of randomly popping your knee there and then walking off, and you think, why did you do that? Oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, he's he's very good at just looking at the situation and going, just move your knee. And then it yeah. just changes, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a different. It's got a very good analytical eye, um, and it's a rare gift to have that level of detail. The other person who I admire a lot, who I noticed had a really good analytical eye, is Dan Lucart. I don't know if you come across Trumpet Dan on on his online no. forays. He he's famous for being a brown belt who was obsessed with Roger Gracie and kept posting Roger breakdowns on YouTube, and they were very uncannily accurate and very good breakdowns of Roger Gracie's matches when Roger Gracie was at the height. Mm. And that, at the time, that was the only way to understand what Roger was doing, because Roger wasn't doing interviews. He, didn't, he certainly didn't do BJJ Fanatics or anything else. Mm. So Trumpet Dan was your go-to guy for your expert Roger analysis. And then uh, Dan did a uh, one year he did the Worlds or the Pans uh, commentary. You know, the, the sort of the guy who's the expert yeah, um, yeah. going, yeah, he's doing this. I couldn't believe how fast he was at predicting what the guy would do next, what he was trying to do, how technical his knowledge was. I think he had got his black belt by then, but nobody heard of, unless you were really into the whole jiu-jitsu blogger and uh, Reddit forum scene, you didn't really know who Trumpet Dan was. But since then, we've become online friends, uh, and I've sort of talked to him quite a bit about various oh, yeah. other things. Mm. And he's kind of fallen off the radar a bit in terms of BJJ. He's still running his academy, but... I keep begging him, do more instructionals, do more breakdowns, do more commentaries, because you have a talent. And he's, he happens to be a teacher anyway. He's a music right, teacher. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, just the main point being is that there are people out there with mm. a really quite perceptive eye. Mm. And I'd say it's a skill and also a talent. Prince, one of them, Dan Lucas, and a couple of others that you, you must have come across where they just, my old instructor, Nick, you know, rest in peace, he was like that as well. He would watch a match immediately know what was happening even if it was a new technique 
bring it back to the academy goes, yeah, I saw this match and this is what this guy was doing, this is what this guy did, and this is how I adapted it. And you're just going, how do you do that? Because you have to like drill things into my head like an idiot before mm. I finally get it. And maybe a few years later, go, oh, now I get it. So I think that's a rare talent. Yeah, some people are just very good at that sort of stuff. And being able to communicate it as well, that's another skill, I find. There are people that can do things, but they can't explain it. And uh, I think Pritt's got... Are you many seminars that we used to go to in the past? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that we paid yeah. 50 quid for going, what did I learn? Yeah. <laughs> well, I got a photo selfie with the guy. <laughs> Not naming names, but, you know. There. Actually, one of the best seminars I went to, you must have been to a Hoist Gracie seminar. He's, he's, he was one of the first guys to come to the UK and actually persist, consistently do seminars all around, around the country. Yeah. I guess that's how he earned his living as well. But uh, at the time, he was still a big name enough from his UFC days that he got a lot of people at his seminars. People joke about it now because he used to hand out stripes and blue belts and things, um, which slightly detracted from the quality of his seminars. Yeah, yeah. But that being said, his seminars were always ace, beautifully explained, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, you know, from the source at its finest. Mm. He, he'd take his time to go through every pairing and correct them and talk to them. Any question you threw him, he had an answer for. Very genial manner, fantastic fella. And uh, I still stand by that. Hoist Gracie is one of the one of the be oh. better seminar instructors I've ever seen. He's not going to show you anything flashy. He's not going to show you Berenbolos and weird stuff. It's not going to show you any preet stuff because you know I'm mm. sure it's not on his radar. But he's going to show you Gracie Jiu Jitsu as it was against somebody trying to punch your head in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, and I, I mean, you're wearing one of your t-shirts now. But um, for people that don't know, you are a mighty name in the Jiu Jitsu. Um, gi and rush guard uh, world, aren't you? Uh, your, Thank your you brand's, very much. Yeah, Thank your you. brand's well. It's the only brand that. Um, well, it's not the only brand I know, but it's the the one that I kind of think of first, um, which is Miyakatsu. And what I found funny was that the seminar you were just dressed in like a bog standard white t uh, white t shirt and blue shorts with no logo, and all the people around you were wearing your gear. <laughs> it was it was like a weird dual fan convention with people who were there to see Preet and by the way I know Miyakatsu's turning up so I'll wear some of his stuff as well or maybe yeah. they wear that all the time but yeah I, that's 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 kind of a, a very sweet and lovely thing a sort of uh, byproduct of, of my love for BJJ's that I, I turn up to competitions and seminars and I, I see a lot of my designs out there in the wild and what here's a funny story I once went to a seminar and I won't embarrass the fella Mm. And I won't say what seminar it was, but it's quite a famous black belt. And I right. turned up because I'm a fanboy of the black belt. And uh, I got chatting to somebody who was next to me. And the, the, he was wearing a, a gi I had designed. And I said, oh, nice gi, mate. Because that's my joke. <laughs> I say, that's a nice yeah, flash yeah. card. And the, the joke is they know who I am. And they go, yeah, I know the artist. You know. <laughs> well, he, he said to me, yeah, this artist is awesome. He's called Miyakatsu and his stuff is really awesome. I'm going, uh, and then it dawned on me that he didn't know who I was. Yeah, he yeah. just thought some random person attending the seminar. And his wife, who was standing next to him, was nudging him in the elbow, going, you know, Roger. It's, Roger, it's, Roger, it's him. Not, his name's not Roger, but you know. Right. And, he's going, and he's going, yeah, in a minute, love. And he was talking to him, because I've got at least three of his rash guards and blah, blah, blah. Uh, when he has a sale <laughs> on, I try and get one of those. And, and he goes, it's him, it's Miyakatsu. And it, he, he looked at me, then he looked at his wife and went, Oh, oh and it was the most <laughs> sweet and lovably, touchingly awkward moment in yeah. my in my jujitsu uh, <laughs> oh, stories. Perfect, so yeah. that was a nice that was a nice memory 
uh, and as I say, a byproduct. But yeah, I, I um, for my sins, I, I, I do illustrate, I draw, and I put that onto uh, things that people can wear in jiu-jitsu. For me, the, the, the jiu-jitsu and the arts has always been together. Mm. So if it's logos for friends or academies, I'll also do t-shirts, uh, rash guards, geese, anything, usually for my own brand, Mikatsu, but I do do commissions for other companies. Currently I'm doing a lot of work, I used to do a lot of work for Tatami and Kings, uh, some of the bigger brands. Um, but for something, just before lockdown, something sort of changed and I think they were focusing on other things, but that's fine. You know, I, you know, no, no hard feelings. I'm, I'm happy working on my own brand. And then mm. recently, in the past year, a lot of smaller companies have started approaching me, and they're all female-only brands. At least three female brands um, who are marketing only athletic wear for females in the jiu-jitsu scene. Okay. And and there's might be a fourth one as well. And I just thought it's a really interesting illustration of the fact that the women's jiu-jitsu scene has grown enough that they can sustain not one company but three or four companies albeit small stores you know operated by a single owner or maybe a husband and yeah. wife team yeah but um that's extraordinary and that shows you the growth of jiu-jitsu that but a lot a niche, of your you have a, niche. a lot of your designs do feature uh, females sort of beating up overly muscled males don't they like the, i'm thinking of the heavenly footlock one with the um <laughs> the devil being footlocked by a sort of uh is it is it sort of a, a traditionally? It's a woman wearing a traditional Japanese outfit. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. So the the story to that series of artwork started off, um, I think, two thousand and twelve. Uh, I was approached by Tap Cancer Out. They had just started as a charitable organisation. I don't know if you've come across them. Yeah. They're based in America, and John, who who runs it, he has a passionate drive to raise f money for cancer. Uh, charities, and he wanted to merge his love with jiu-jitsu with, with his passion for fundraising for cancer. So he started ca Tap Cancer Out, and they actually were originally called Tap Out Cancer, and Tap Out, the brand, threatened to sue them because you're not allowed to use the word Tap Out within the right. fight wear scenario. Yeah. So that made big headlines um, across the forums. I was a big sort of forum user back in the day. And he was sort of saying, guys, help me out. I'm, I'm, I've got a legal letter from... T anyway, they actually had an agreement saying, look, you know, we didn't want to bully you or anything. We just don't want you to use tap. Can you not change it? And he, he, he changed it to tap cancer out. And they said, that's fine. We're happy with that. So they actually gave him his blessing. And I think they gave him a little bit of startup support. Yeah. Um, so he's been running really successful tournaments. And all the profits from those tournaments go towards his charity. And, and he does an like, end of year accounts. And he shows, I've donated this amount to this established registered charity. And they, either he approached me or I sort of just commented on something that he posted saying, dude, you know, you're doing really good stuff, well done. Mm. And then he said, do you do drawings? I said, yeah. So I said, look, you know, let's do a t-shirt or something. So I did a, that was the first time I drew a, a Japanese female submitting a demon using the Uma, in that case it was an Uma Plata. And that was the beginning of the, the Geisha, the heavenly series of drawings. Um, I, and I think it's still his best-selling t-shirt. He still raises quite a lot of quite a few thousands of dollars every year through the sales of those t-shirts. So th that was back in 2012. So every year since then, I've drawn a new version of a Japanese lady defeating a, a demon. Mm. And, and then make of it what you will in terms of the symbolism and the, uh, the, the story behind it. But for me, I just, I just like drawing it. You know, it's, just, it's become a signature piece, so I'll draw one every year, sometimes two a year, just because it's, it's a, 
uh, not infinite, but it's it's a consistently winning concept. If you know yes. what I mean, <laughs> go with what works. It's and a winning I, combination, I've, isn't it? I've got better and better <laughs> at drawing them because I'm not getting funny, but drawing a drawing a demon is no problem. You can I can draw it with my eyes closed, but drawing a Japanese lady with wearing traditional costume, not necessarily geishas, but they're all that sort of. Um, a tradition, just call it traditional costume with the traditional yeah, yeah. hair. It's very, very hard. Okay. Uh, especially when you're trying to get them to do jujitsu techniques, because if you look at videos uh, of um, uh, of women who are dressed in traditional costume, it's very stiff. Yes. It's meant to be yeah. minimal movements, especially with the yeah. dancing, with the fan work. It's not meant to be for fighting. So I've got to kind of translate that without making it look ridiculous into a fighting posture so that's the challenge so again wow. I do it because it's a challenge yeah people may not yeah. realize that I no, think I didn't in some cases that. in some cases I've been quite successful in uh, making it still look authentically traditional Japanese uh, ladylike mm. and bringing the jiu-jitsu in and in other cases I've probably played a lot with the artistic license no one's really complained Apart from you get the odd comments saying, why did you draw geisha Seymour? Did you know they were prostitutes? Why are you bringing this disrepute into the jiu-jitsu oh. world? <laughs> I, and I don't know if they're trolling me or if they're genuinely <laughs> serious about it. For, I mean, I'm sure people are aware of the history of geishas without necessarily just having read memoirs of a geisha. But if they're not, then they can at least appreciate the aesthetic beauty of the costume, the traditionalness, the genteel yeah. demeanour. That's what I want to bring across. I mean, to not me, to bring was... jiu-jitsu into disrepute. I just look at it and think if it's it's Japanese culture, it's because it, jiu-jitsu is based from Japan, isn't it? So that that's that's the reason I thought it was all connected. It's yeah, it's it, I suppose you could argue it's a very visual way of bringing connecting our sport with something aesthetic that you can wear. I mean, it's no coincidence that the vast majority of fightwear brands rely on Japanese culture, traditional mm. culture. Probably in Japan, they look at it and just go, God, that's so cheesy. Why are they yeah, drawing yeah. all these samurais and demons? But if you look um, at Japan, it's, all, it's full of knockoffs of uh, Western culture. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, just look, all the shops, they, 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 they're, they're all based on the Western designs and things, but, but slightly altered, you know. So I think, I think that's changing. I think the, the, the perception yeah. that Japan tries to copy the West and do it badly with bad English, that probably still occurs, but from what... Because I've not visited Japan, but obviously I've speak, spoken to a lot of people who live there. I think there is uh, the 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 fashion, the art, the subculture scene has has moved on from that. They're now mm. they've taken things like hip hop and street culture and that have made it their own, and they have done for the past fifteen twenty years. So now sure. there's a very sure, distinct yeah. style that's Japanese, and you can't really say. Uh, it's just trying to mimic the West. It's it's their own sort of style, and I yeah, think that's, that's true mean, of fashion and art. I mean, my point was really that the appropriation goes both ways. It's not oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's not it's not omnidirectional. Oh, I, I'm blatantly culturally appropriating uh, Chinese, um, Japanese culture, and a little bit of Chinese as well. I can I can at least claim lineage to Chinese because I am born of Chinese descent. Yeah. My parents are from China, but I was born in the UK. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to your um, Kung Fu uh, Well, I've done Monkey King. Series. I've done lots of Monkey King stuff. That was I did that before with the Geisha stuff. People yeah, forget. I mean, I really like the uh, Rangatang one you did. That was good, talking about apes and things. Yep, That's a yep. nice one. A apes um, feature strongly. They're just like really fun to draw. And uh, for some yeah, reason, it's yeah. a popular animal in the jiu-jitsu circuit, isn't it? Yeah. As soon as you put a gi on an ape, it kind of looks right, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, the, the bitter irony, as, irony for you is that... Uh, 
due to your schooling and your lineage, you can't wear any of my stuff because it's, well, you have to wear the brand. No, stuff, no, I have to. Oh, yes. is, that a, is that a misconception? No, it's not a misconception. I'm in the organisation, <laughs> and uh, I have to wear the organisation's brand. But uh, I only have to wear it, um, like you know, when I'm at at, at the proper school. <laughs> if I go somewhere else, I don't need to wear it. You know. Of course, yeah. Unless you're taking a group photo and you're representing the club. Yeah. In which case, quick change. <laughs> well, you sort of. It's it's. I don't know what the deal is because um, obviously we're at my club where I teach. We're a Roger Gracie affiliate, and he sells his uniforms. And it's not enforced, but it's it's kind of not encouraged to just rock up with a pink gi. You yeah, should yeah. be making an effort to wear the brand stuff because. Yeah, yeah. Let's be honest. The, the, the affiliation makes a bit of money selling selling this stuff. So, you know, wh why why deny that opportunity? I totally get it as a as a business part. There's part also, of the there's other reasons too. It's it's part of the feeling part of a team ethos. Like like it's like school uniform, right? Like schools insist on the uniform so that everyone is equal. Whereas if they didn't insist on the uniform, some people would have really nice clothes and other people wouldn't be able to afford really nice clothes, and it would all look a bit mismatched and I guess part of the logic yeah, that analogy falls apart when you're paying 90 pounds a month membership and uh, you know if someone wants to rock up with a 300 pound shoyu roll gi I'm sure it's fine compared to the guy who also pays 90 pounds membership a month rocks up yeah. with a second hand tatami gi there's I don't see any envy there whatsoever I'm, if I'm you're not... a kid on welfare obviously you know you see a kid wearing you know the latest sketches trainers and you can wear third hand hand-me-downs from your big brother there's obviously going to be that disparity yeah sure but, uh, but I get it with the sort of the, the the look the apparent the visual obviously being a visual person myself I get it that you want to run a, a club where you are recognized for your branding your patches and wherever you go competitions events seminars you're recognized as the team and it makes the uh, the owner and instructor proud to see that yeah I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to try and defend uniform policies. It's, it's not. It's <laughs> so, not yeah, my no, bag. <laughs> I, I, I've got my. I've got my Roger game. When Roger comes down, I'll wear it. Or one of his black belts comes down, I'll wear it. When I'm yeah. teaching and there's no one else around, I'll just wear my whatever you know, worn out Meikatsu purple gi. <laughs> I really like your new steampunk one. The new rush card you got as well. That's that's great. The which one was that? The, the ste steampunk. steampunk. Yeah. Yeah. That's. that's I don't know why how that came about. I just decided to draw it one day. That was many years ago. I did it as a T-shirt. Then it became a patch. And then I thought, well, let's because I often go back to old drawings and redo them because I just I cr I don't know if, if if you look at your written work or some of yours, a bit cringy when you look at stuff you've made seven yeah, yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How did people not call me out on how badly that was done? Yeah, yeah. And I I feel like I have to right some wrongs. For example, and usually it's a technical thing rather than an artistic thing. Like the first version of the steampunk. She was doing a uh, a triangle, a body triangle, but I had the legs all wrong. So I had the body triangle facing the wrong way that you would do a rear naked choke on. Okay. <laughs> a couple of people mentioned it at the time, but you always get that. You get your jiu-jitsu nerds who point things out, like the little fingers in the wrong place. But I always say, give me a bit of artistic license, guys. But then it bugged me ever since for years and years. And so probably more, almost 10 years later, I decided to redraw it and it became the rash guard. Now I'm happy with that iteration. Yeah, it's nice. I really like it. Um, I'll have to buy one now. <laughs> no, no, I've done this talk. <laughs> well, you can get the poster of it. You can put it up in your uh, nice study there. You don't have to. Get oh the right, okay. Since, yeah. since you'll get very little use of it as a as a, as a, a, a official of the of the Red Army. Unless I keep going to um, 
preach seminars. <laughs> um, so where do you get the inspiration then for these, um, all your different designs and everything? Um, well, if it's a commission, I usually rely on someone telling me what to do. Oh, sometimes, I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll get a commission where they'll give me hints of what they want to see, but they're very open. Like like the um, the brand where I was working, the women's brand, they weren't quite sure. They were looking at Spanish designs, first of all. Mm. And, and I, for some reason, I suggested the Kitsune, which is a, a female goddess, Japanese female goddess disguised as a fox. And I thought that was a very nice one to draw because it, it gives you a good excuse to use all the cliches and stereotypes from Japanese culture, lots of cherry blossoms, you know, lots of mm. Japanese costumes, that sort of thing, without crossing over into my, my heavenly series. So she seemed to like that idea and it came out really well, so that was really good. So in that case, it's, sometimes it's a collaboration. When this stuff from my own brand, um, as I do carry on certain series, so the the heavenly series are all the, the Japanese ladies versus demons, although I'm, I'm the latest version of that, which hasn't been released yet, it's coming out later. I'm taking that even further, rather than drawing it in my usual style, which is quite vector-oriented. You're probably familiar with the difference between vector drawing and, and, yeah. and raster drawing. Vector drawing is a very clean, clinical style of, of rendering art. And I've moved away to be a bit more pen and inky, which uh, I went totally the other side when I drew the, the blue biro pen version of that, which is available now. But the next version, I've moved more towards uh, referring to manga, uh, like black and white, good old black and white manga that's like that thick, but like this, that, that size, and you flick through the, the pages. So I've, I've, I've drawn a version of the Heavenly series where they've used lots of half-tone dots and lots of glitchy elements. Um, oh, yeah. it's, not, it's not neat, it's not tidy. Uh, and I've applied that onto a rash guard, and I'm quite excited about that. It's very black and white, it's very, very... You know, like the page of a of a manga book. So I've dabbled with that kind of style in in the past. Manga is a very very hard style to draw. You you have to dedicate many many years of practice to drawing that that specific style of, of artistry, which is not my forte. But I've got <coughs> better at it. So this one will be the result. So when that comes out, I'll give you a buzz and, and I can show you because that's that's pretty cool. I think. Oh, that sounds exciting. But apart and apart from that, I'll, I'll sort of rehash other things like when I. The, the you can any permutation of an ape will do chimpanzees <laughs> orangutans there's a broad the, 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 there's a broad inf, um, slight hint of an influence from Planet of the Apes like the original 70s stuff not oh the yeah yeah because yeah. that was yeah. what I was a fan of as a child anything yeah. Planet of the Apes so I brought that into my work so any I've, I can't I've lost count of gorillas orangutans chimpanzees I've drawn macaques um, I'm running out of uh, species, to be honest. I um, think you, what you need to do is... Squirrel monkeys, uh, <laughs> mandrills, of course. How can I forget mandrills, baboons? Oh, I've drawn yeah. them all in, in, in a jiu-jitsu setting. What, you need to keep going back to 70s TV, because I think I that think is the right. Buck ultimate... Rogers, how about that? Buck Rogers, uh, Star I think Trek. That Kung Fu so series with uh, David Carradine in, The Shaolin Monk Who Was Wandering Around America. I reckon you there's, have a, I have a, there's I have something a in that. I have an interesting because obviously I my parents are Chinese I'm Chinese, and the only 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 Asian faces you see on TV are a couple of bad villains with long moustaches, right? Mm. And David Carradine, who who's not Kung Asian. Fu was massive. <laughs> Kung Fu the series was massive in the seventies, wasn't it? You imagine yeah. I'm like seven or eight, six or seven or eight, and I wanted to watch it because you don't you don't understand the cultural 
misappropriation being done at the time. But my parents were horrified that a white person was playing a Chinese guy. Yeah. And then his master was like some guy with weird white eyes. And it was just a horrible misrepresentation of Chinese culture. And they, would, they banned me from watching it. Although I did oh, sneak no. a few... A few um, I did sneak a few um, viewings in. So it was always been a bugbear that, and I've, I've carried that on a bit. I've always thought that was, maybe I've learnt from their interpretation of it that it's not a good thing. Mm. I know a lot of people, but then I was addicted to something like The Water Margin and, and Monkey, which was actually yeah, Japanese TV. Japanese yeah. TV misappropriating Chinese Chinese TV, yeah, yeah. With badly English dubbing. And I loved it at the time. I didn't discriminate, I just loved it. So, yeah, me yeah. too, me too. I, lo I loved Monkey and Water Margin, that was great. It's so good. And yeah, if they showed it now, kids will just be going, what the fuck is this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> us, it's like uh, retro computer games, isn't it? It's like, like Pac-Man and all the Defender and all those really... Oh, the classics. They're not even 8-bit, what are they... <laughs> <laughs> Two-bit gaming, <laughs> Pong. Yeah, yeah. I think they might have got to 16-bit, you know, give them, give them some credit. <laughs> you know, you, you and me growing up playing these games is thinking, wow, that was the best, and you show your kid and they're going, is this, is this the, like, what is yeah. this a joke? <laughs> I, mean, I, I spent hours of my life, hours playing Elite, which was like... Yes, ve the BBC Micro. Yeah, yeah, vector line drawings just yeah. in space. and Like a wireframe like, thing. going Just a wireframe, like, yeah. Like yeah, that. exactly. Go, go, did, yeah, you play the, uh, did you play the adventure games that were just um, text only? I did more than that. I wrote one. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I wrote one that got published. Um, really? Yeah. And here's, the, here's, here's the uh, 13. And no here's way. The yeah, yeah. Which one here's did you write? So the funny thing is it, it was basically was called The Philosopher's Stone. You didn't write that. I wrote that. I played and it. No. Shit. Are you like some computing genius? <laughs> I don't <laughs> no, know about this. I know you had, I, a, obviously, a, a link to computing. It, it was on a BBC. Is that like a BBC game? Or did you write it in BASIC? BASIC, yeah. Wow. Um, and it was published. So it's called The Philosopher's Stone. It was published by Potter Programs. You've seen the, you see the connection here, right? And it was all about wizards. And oh, it damn. had a it had an elf in it who stole things. Like Dobby. Gee. I mean, there's a lawsuit waiting to happen right there, isn't oh there? Oh my goodness! <laughs> if only that company was still alive. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, you, you can uh, you, you can look me up on the um, there's a there's a database on the online of, of, of computer games I and definitely you know. played that. Have you? I was about to slag off text-based uh, adventure games now, but <laughs> and, like, basically, I spent hours on it. And the only reason is because you have to be very accurate in your reply. Sometimes it's yes or no, but sometimes you have to yeah, that's not quite write a full sentence, but it has to be perfectly written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you resort to computer and video games, all the cheat codes in there, and you're like, oh, I should have wrote the instead of a, and you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, the problem with those games. It's like get the to get torch, and if you say pick up torch, it doesn't work. You have to type in get torch. I tell you what, though. I think what text-based games did was fire up the imagination in a way that uh, oh, yeah. gaming doesn't do now. There's no way you can do that now. No. But you ha I, I was in that cave, I was holding that lamp, I was meeting <laughs> the elf, and I had my version in my head. And in, in, a, in a way, I didn't want to see the cover art because that would have spoiled things because yeah. I had my version in my head. 
that was the beauty of it. But yeah, I can't believe you, you wrote Did you write any other stuff? Was that your, your, your one and only epic? That was my one and only. I wrote it and wow. then the, the company survived for about three or four months after they published my game. And then they you went... must have got a bit of royalties, surely. So I got, I got, I got like a bit of royalties, yeah. It was like, I mean, it was like a hundred quid, probably. But at the time when I was 13 in 1980, whenever it was... Did you tell your mates at school? Like, yeah, this is my one. Yeah, they, they didn't believe me. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> just I like... definitely played that game. That's amazing. How could you have played my game? That's weird. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, I, I played that game. I definitely remember, yeah. when, as soon as you said philosophers, I think, yes, I played that one. Uh, but yeah, you might, uh, you might be mixing me up with someone who made a really good game uh, that, that was much more popular than mine. <laughs> not called Philosopher's Something, though. I definitely remember no, really? that one. Oh, really? The Philosopher's Stone, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I definitely remember that. Yeah, I'm not confusing it with uh, uh, J.K. Rowling's uh, rip-off either. <laughs> I mean, obviously, she took, she took my ideas. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That's uncanny. Because even yeah. at the time, there's no... It's not like you copied Lord of the Rings or something. It's... Um, no, I, li I literally got the dictionary and I flicked through it until I found some interesting words and just the words Philosopher's Stone were in the dictionary. I was like, oh, Unbelievable. I'll have that. You know? Unbelievable. That is fascinating. You Weird, need to appear on one of those shows that talk that like the anniversary of the BBC microcomputer and then tell your story because it's <laughs> <Yeah>. really cool. <laughs> if I could just have 5% of her wealth, that would be fine. <laughs> Man. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So but, yeah, now I I feel like um it's not about me. This is, this podcast could be about you now. So I think we're now about your, I feel like we're your drifting computer <laughs> game writing career. We're drifting <laughs> off off topic very like. Let's go back to jujitsu. So tell me about your your club that you've got. Um, okay, so I start when I got my black belt in two thousand fifteen. The first thing, <laughs> first thing I wanted to do because I want to start my own club. Um, I don't know what possessed me. Mm. It's just felt like because I had. I had did Japanese jiu-jitsu many years before and I ran my own club then and I really enjoyed the teaching part of it. Yeah. And I left that scene as a black belt first or second degree, I can't remember. Because I didn't enjoy the training part of it. Because the training, in my mind, took me very, very further and further away what I thought was jiu-jitsu was about, which was like wrist-locking and hurting people's arms if they were trying to mug me in the street. And at the higher black belt levels, it's all about well, it's katas and more obscure katas yeah. involving weapons, which, yeah, you know, um, which I didn't really enjoy. I thought it was it was getting a bit too uh, uh, esoteric. Is that the right word? Yes, yeah. art for art's sake, you know. Yeah, more art than martial. You're, you're, you're preserving tradition rather than doing something that's actually useful. Right. Thank you. So, so that would be the correct word to describe it. So I, I kept that thought in my head, but I had this club and I was running and I was teaching these students who were coming through the ranks and relying on me. But at the same time, I was the only training I was doing was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I started off at Carlson Gracie when they were in the boiler room in London. That was in 2003. And then I found Eddie Cohn. He started up a club in Wanstead, uh, East London. So I started there. And it wasn't until I moved house to Boreham Wood that I... Uh, joined Nick's Mill Hill Club, but I knew Mick, Nick from when we were doing Japanese Jiu-Jitsu because he, he was the same thing, he ran his own club in Mill Hill, Japanese Jiu-Jitsu organisation, he was a quite a high level black belt then, but he, you know, on the side he was going to Rogers, so almost our paths were the same, <laughs> Yeah. So, and we'd always kept in touch because I knew that he was interested in grappling and submission wrestling and 
what we now know to be Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, although we all called it Gracie Jiu-Jitsu at the time. Oh, it's weird, and then when I, when, I, when I heard that he'd uh, set up a club in Mill Hill, I thought, well, if I, because we were going to move house, my wife and I, I thought, well, let's look for a house <laughs> at least within easy commuting distance from Mill Hill, because that's the only club I want to go to now, because I, I, like, I liked Nick at the time as a Japanese jiu-jitsu instructor, and I, I'm sure I'm going to like him as a, as a BJJ instructor. And that was in, um, well, it must be about 15-something years ago, 15, 16 years ago. Hmm. Uh, so when I got my black belt in 2015 um, from Nick, I, I, I thought, well, it just seems natural for me to start up a club. There's no, there's no Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in my little town, Boronwood. So I just hired some, bought, bought some roll-out mats, hired a leisure centre room and advertised. And uh, I was inundated. I had like, like 20 pe- 25 people turned up on opening, open first yeah. session. Nice. Loads of parents with kids. I mean, it's a really good base. So I did that for about three years, and then so 2015 will take me up to yeah to take me up to 2020, so four years. I'd already mm. um, promoted someone up to blue belt, and I was thinking about who was ready for purple belt, and then obviously COVID lockdown happened. I had to close the club, and we was out for a long time, as you as you know, officially anyway, uh, as you know full well. The clubs were were shut for a long time. So in the meantime, I, I didn't know what to do. I just sort of thought, well, um, let's just do press-ups at home. <laughs> but luckily, um, I had pe- friends from Mill Hill, they, their husband and wife and their team, and they were in a similar boat, but they have space in the garage. They built, put some mats down. They said, you want to come down, be part of a closed training group, just you and I. So I said, yeah, definitely. I'm, you know, I'm missing my jiu-jitsu. So we, we've mm. been doing that, and we haven't stopped, to be honest. That's now my go-to area for when I go, when I good spa. So every Monday we go and train together. That's We've great. Been doing that since lockdown, but for me, I'm during envious. lockdown, <laughs> from during since during lockdown, I, I I was close to just saying I don't think I really want to open up the club anymore. It's as a part-time amateur club, twice a week. It's it's a lot of hassle, a lot of paperwork, mm. a lot of dealing with stuff. Mm. Uh, speaking to, I just hooked up with Sandeep, uh, Sandeep Burmy, who's a black belt on the Roger. And he used to pop into my club every now and again, and he would say, hey, Seymour, how's it going? And I said, how's it, what are your plans for when you reopen? I said, well, I don't know, I might not even reopen. It's such a hassle, it's expensive, you know, there's not, not a huge amount of money in it. He goes, well, I've got this idea, Seymour. Uh, and he proposed the idea to op- reopen, but under a Roger Gracie uh, as an affiliate, would make it seven days a week. He would quit his job and become the full-time instructor there. But I would still have my slot as the twice a week instructor on the, my, the times that I could usually do because you know I'm so busy I can't usually teach full time. Hmm. And it sounded perfect, and that's the way it's been since July one year ago. So in July it will be one year, uh, our one year anniversary of officially opening as uh, Roger Gracie South Hearts, and I love it there. It's great. The vibe is good. We, it's a whole. It's some of the legacy members, or quite a few actually, probably about half the number from my Boron with BJJ days. Yeah. And the rest is made up of brand new white belts who joined the moment we officially opened. They all stampeded in, going, "Oh, thank goodness! You know, jiu-jitsu clubs are open. I've been wanting to do this for years." And uh, we've been for the past year, we've been seeing them um, progress amazingly well. The difference between training at a club that is full time and training at a, in a scouts hall twice a week is immense in terms of the students' progress and their ability to make techniques work, not just in sparring but in competition. Uh, it's amazing. So, so hats off to Sandeep for taking that project on and taking it to another level. And I'm, so, I'm so that's because of they they've got access to more classes and they train more often. 
access to more classes, access to two black belt instructors and a brown belt instructor. Mm. Uh, but essentially, it's a lot of the guys who compete, they train probably five days a week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the people who see it more as a part-time hobby, they still turn up three times a week. We very rarely get people who are once-a-weekers. I mean, I used to be a once-a-weeker back in the day uh, when Mill Hill was just three times a week. I couldn't make the other day, so I just used to turn up once a week, and I was happy with that. But nowadays, if you want to sort of keep up with everyone, yeah, yeah, it's not. Re- it depends on your age and the injuries and stuff. But as, if you're 22, right, and you're in a job, you've got a bit of disposable income, a lot of disposable time. You know, you don't have family and kids. What else are you going to do? You know, it's, uh, you yeah. either go out all the time or go training. These guys go training. We've got a lot of young guys who. They love it. That's their, their gym. They're real gym rats. So they, mm. they, they, they're there every day. Uh, man, and they're catching up fast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Same Thank God for Prit, though. Thank God for Prit stuff for Thank saving me against athletic young stuff. dudes. Yeah, they're a nightmare. We've got lots of them at our place too. Um, for some reason, I find a lot of the people at our place seem to be like their personal trainers. So that not only are they young and, and fit, they're they're incredibly strong. I know a lot about the human body and how to bend it in different ways because that's what they do for a living, you know. Um, and I, I sort of rock up, you know, 50, almost 51, <laughs> and have to kind of survive for a round against each of them in a row. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> i tell you what, though, because I'm 53 this year, so um, if, you, if you sort of were go back in time to when you were 20-something and said... Can you imagine doing a very, very full contact martial art where the potential for injury is very high at 50-something? Do you think you'd be doing that? And you'd probably say, no, I'd be like clapped out, but I'm, yeah. I'm feeling fitter, stronger and better now than I was at 30 because I'm better at the techniques. I know how to protect myself better. A lot of, I, t- I tell you what, you know, not joking aside, Pritz stuff has helped, Pritz stuff has helped me look after myself better when I'm training. I know safe positions to go in mm. and I know safe positions to transition to and still be competitive in a role, not just lie there like a, you know, a dead seal. I can actually do something with it. And I think that's the gift that he's given us. Um, and, uh, uh, but basically, yeah, I've, I think by being better and you're a black belt, a black belt, you have a different perspective on how you train and how you roll compared to when you were a white and blue belt. Yeah. When you're white, if when we were white and blue belts, unless you were exceptional, if you were like me, if you carried on that way for ten years, you'd be <laughs> a broken man by now. Yeah, yeah. But I've either by force or by just through you know repetition of injuries, we've now learned to do it. So I can't see how I can, you know, touch wood. I can see myself being the same as I am in ten years' time again because I've reached a level where I'm not rolling in a way that I feel that I could really cause injury. I guess mm. some would argue, well, you're not being very competitive, Seymour, or you're not giving your all. But why would you give your all to do a technique to the point where you're hurting yourself and potentially your training partner when there, there are better, smarter ways to do something? And I yeah. think jiu-jitsu is big enough for you to be able to do that. Yeah. It's all about doing the clever thing, isn't it, jiu-jitsu, to me? It's Smart it's, stuff, yeah. yeah. It's not about just piling in there and, um, you know, mashing yourself to pieces and at the end of the round just go yeah give them a slap on the back and go great stuff let's do it again it's um you know that's that's for young men 
um, <laughs> I, what, what, I, what I really value these days are clever, intelligent ways to do things that, that don't injure you and don't require enormous amounts of strength and just the little details and the subtle things, which is, you know, that's what I found, I think um, Prit Seminar was great for, is the little subtle things he was doing all the time that, that just make the difference between having to force something and not having to do almost anything. Because a lot of the time he just lay there and he, he just nullified everything I did. And it was like, oh, wow. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, yeah. It does, I think it, there is a bit of a... A steep learning curve with his stuff but once you're over that it suddenly all clicks into place and it makes sense but there's techniques now that I just for years and years I've tried and it just doesn't click I can't do it you ask me to drill it and teach it I can stuff mm. like deep half guard absolute nightmare I can't do it don't want to do either. it I can't, I can't do it I just <laughs> you know, Nick used to be obsessed with the deep half so he'd teach it a lot so we drilled it a lot but he, he was a big it. guy right he was a like Nick a long guy yeah, lanky and tall, but not yeah. necessarily that heavy. But he loved it, and I tried to do it. People do it on me, and I think, great, nice deep half. Oh, you swept me, well done. I try and do it back, hopeless. Yeah. Worse than a white belt, can't do it. And so I've just wiped that out from my... I'm not even going to put that as one of my um, you know, bucket list techniques I have to do. But <laughs> stuff like K-Guard, which is fairly new, absolute taken to it like a duck to water, because it's no oh. different from Close Guard or Spider Guard or... You know, all these guards where you, your legs are out there. Mm. Um, just watch a couple of tutorials, bang, using it next day in, you know, successfully. Uh, and it's just brilliant. But whereas some people might think, I can't do K-Guard, it's too weird. You're doing all that, dropping your knee to the ground and your legs are dangling in the air. I can't do all that. Think, mm. yeah, but it's so easy. But to them, half <laughs> is easy. So it's funny how there's yeah. horses for courses. Black belts aren't expected to be experts at everything, are we? No, no. I mean, I, I can't do deep half either. I, I, I'm convinced myself that it's a technique for people that are um, like quite quite tall or, or, or tall no, or we've big. Got, we've know. got a couple of little dudes, small, that's my size, doing it. No problem at, at my club because um, oh, right. Sandeep, bless him, Sandeep's uh, obsessed with um, deep half. So he's te been teaching it a lot, so they've been picking up on it. Oh, that's nice because I've, I've never seen just, I've never seen a small dude do no, they, deep they half. love it. Yeah, no, they love it. Well, at least they try it anyway. You know, they, it seems to be their go-to move. Mm. But um, anyway, that's just one example. I, I think there's there is stuff that I like doing. That it's like a lot of people hate Spider Guard because it burns their fingers. They just won't mm. do it. You know, sleeve and column at the most. But really, a, making Spider Guard your your go-to open guard, they just don't, I, I I just don't see it a lot. But for me, it's just normal. I don't, and that, mm. you know, you see me talk, teach it at Jun's place, and um, I love it. I love all the options it gives you. So it's it's horses for courses, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm a, a butterfly guard sort of guy because I think it's just the shape of my legs and everything. Um, everything I do seems to come back to butterfly guard. Like even if I start doing <laughs> lapel guard, I do it with like a, a lapel through the leg, but then I go shin to shin, and, and so it's like a hook. So it's still butterfly guard, even though it's a lapel thing, you know. Everything, everything I, just, I analyse it later and go, really, I'm just doing butterfly in different versions. That, that, that's yeah. my whole game. But, yeah. but, you know, I mean, it just works for me. I, mean, I, I try and teach butterfly to people, and some people just... It, it's just like it's an unnatural movement, and they can't do it. Um, so I think, like you say, horses for courses. Well, that's the beauty, isn't it? It's, it the breadth of the, the sport that we do is, is big enough. Like like Jun won't touch footlocks at all. He's just he's just not into it at all, and right. he doesn't want to. 
yeah, John, you know, uh, he just, he has almost like a phobia of footlocks. He thinks they're hyper dangerous. And I, my mission every time I go down to the Grapathons or his, or his Artemy seminars is to just play a little footlock with him, but he just <laughs> he doesn't like yeah, yeah. it at all. <laughs> my thing, and it, it, you know, the old why ignore 50% of the body thing is so true. I'm thinking, but you're missing out, dude, on so much fun and, and opportunities to attack and also defend. So I've been trying, it's my mission I, to try and convince I, him yeah. otherwise. I, quite, I mean, I like doing footlocks. Um, it's always a bit like you're dabbling in the dark arts, isn't it, whenever you start footlocking, depending on your club. But, you, you know, I remember the days, if you started trying to oh, not, chase not after... these days, not these not, Well, days, yeah, but I, I remember back in the day when you used to start playing around with feet, you'd kind of get, like, people going, oh, we don't, we don't do that. And it's like, well, maybe you should. <laughs> yeah. But these days, well, it's a bit different. I like my wrist locks as well, so... Uh, uh, like it actually I, I never find people have a problem with wrist locks. It's, I, always, I always read about this thing. You, you, you get wrist a locks laugh, don't you? You get a funny response. You always get a jokey response. <laughs> But yeah, every gym has its culture, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it's true. I mean, and, and uh, if you never get out of your gym, you don't realise that there's, like, you know, you go to a different gym and it's entirely different. Like everything's, you, you know, it throws you a bit sometimes. I've been to seminars and, like, at the end of the seminar, that last sort of half hour, they just say, okay, now we'll roll. I so see you're suddenly rolling with a load of dudes um, from another, other gyms, and it's everything just feels so. So different. It takes you a while just to kind of go. Oh well, actually, no. I I, I get what he's doing now. It's just a slight sort of different yeah, variation I, of what, what I'm, I'm used to. What I find when it, uh, there was a period where I was visiting a lot of gyms, either on holiday or just they invite me over and I just do a random road trip. And for me, what struck me is the physicality of other people from other gyms when you roll with them. It's it it takes a few moments to get used to it. Nobody ever grips and lets you do the first move. They just want to go. They're not necessarily being mean or, or spazzy or forceful, but it's just there. There generally has been a lot more physicality um, mm. that I maybe I'm used to because of my training partners. I know what they're going to do, so if they apply the same level of force, I can almost anticipate it and then deal with it accordingly. But when it's the new set of hands on you, and if they apply, there's always a different way of the push pull, different way they do things. And then your body takes a few, just a microsecond of, oh, whoa, cool. Bit, yeah. Bit, bit strong there, mate. And then, yeah, yeah. But he's not. He's not being strong. He's just doing it what he normally does with his, his teammates. So each gym culture is, has, has a slightly different vibe, but yeah. rolling with new people. And that's, I think that's the shock people get with competition. That first wave of adrenaline rush, that first grip, that fight or flight instincts. And that can be mm. quite daunting for newcomers to the competition scene. How do you find the whole sort of teaching versus practicing thing? Um, because mainly you're, 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 like, you're split, aren't you? You're doing your teaching in one area, and then when you train in your sort of closed environment, it's just practicing. How do you find that? At the moment, the setup I have is perfect for me. I love it. Um, so when I teach twice a week, I'll sometimes roll with the students if there's odd numbers. If there's even numbers, I feel that I don't want to pull someone out. Mm. You know, the students are paying a lot of money to just say, let them roll, and I and better still, I can oversee, and then I, I'm 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 of better use seeing it all the people rolling and then giving mm. feedback at the end of the session rather than sparring with someone and I can't see what the hell anyone is doing. And secondly, there's a safety thing; somebody might injure themselves and they don't get to see it. 
Mm. So I'll try to roll with students, but only if there's odd numbers. And for my own personal training, I say I, I, every Monday I'll roll with my my buddies in their home garage. Um, but I don't essentially I don't have a, a gym to go to. Um, I haven't been to Mill Hill for a couple of years, and since since Nick passed away, I haven't really kept in touch with um, the the academy there. I believe there has been some personnel changes anyway, mm. so I wouldn't know anyone there if I did turn up. Uh, and, and in any case, I don't, I don't know, it's really weird, we talked about this the other day, but I don't want to sound arrogant or conceited, but when I, I'm so used to teaching a class, that when I turn up to somebody else's class and I have to sit through their instructional portion, yeah. all I'm thinking about is, I can't wait to spar. Which is not a black belt thing, actually. I started thinking that from purple belt, may, definitely brown belt onwards. All I wanted to do was spar because I wanted to work on stuff that I wanted to work on. Yeah. I didn't necessarily care about having to use the technique of the day, which is like, great, omoplata, okay, you know. Um, you know, I wanted to work stuff that I was excited about, stuff that I'd saw on video, stuff that somebody else had shown me, or a seminar I'd just come back from. And that's the value of open mats. I think open mats are one of the most important things a club, at least a full-time club, can offer its students. The chance to work their stuff in a relaxed environment with people of their choosing without any stress or even, even time limits. I've been to open mm. mats, there's no time limit, and I've rolled for an hour, solid. Mm. No breaks, just an hour, you know, I pick a black belt, I haven't seen you for ages, let's have a roll, and it's like 45 minutes to 60 minutes of rolling. We have a drink of water, have a laugh, and then we roll for another half an hour, and that's me one yeah. and a half hours done. That is after blue belt, that's about the best thing you can offer a student in terms of their uh, inte intellectual and um, jiu-jitsu development. So that's, that's what I liked. For me, the, my Monday sessions with Jason Gosher, which I film a video and <laughs> I put on YouTube, um, <laughs> just because I, I think, well, since I've got no teacher, I'm going to teach myself. So I film all my rolling yeah. and then I spot all my mistakes and spot the things I'm trying to work and trying to get and then I narrate them and I put them on YouTube for my own benefit but I've got a few followers and some people say they're useful and okay. it's from there I started put, putting some of the print stuff that I'm doing and I take <laughs> I take my better videos then I put it on the defensive BJJ website I go hey Prit this is my latest update of my development with the running man or whatever yeah. and then when he breaks it down you're thinking oh I thought I did quite well but he found like a hundred things wrong with it because <laughs> <laughs> he's so analytical he'll, he'll literally comment on every minute detail of your role yeah. And, I think, and it's, then it's back to the drawing board. So that's been super useful for me. I, you know, I get it that not everyone is in that position, but for me that's been super useful. That being said, I, I do miss the structure of being a student at a club again. I like that camaraderie and I like that idea where I can meet a whole bunch of other people who I see week in, week out and have a good mm. variety of roles. So there is a couple of clubs I'm thinking of you know, turning up on, a, on an... Um, you know, joining as a member, but not necessarily being a regular face there. Uh, especially, I want to compete at the UK BGJ International in October, so I definitely need to up my training towards them, so I've got to pick a, somewhere to go. Um, I mean, it's not, I could, I guess I could use my club, but where's the value in me sort of dominating a bunch of white belts and blue belts, although some of the blue belts are getting quite good now. Um, whereas yeah. I, ca I need to roll black belt rules. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I need to yeah, roll yeah. with another black belt who can defend my, um, you know, toe holds and my knee bars and do the mm. same back to me. Mm. Uh, so, and I can get that in a couple of clubs around my area. I just got to sort of 
you know, be committed to it. But yeah, I think, uh, uh, like we discussed, um, that that sort of element, I'm not, I don't have a huge incentive to turn up and act like a blue belt student learning how to do deep half again. Been there, done that. I, I know I'm shit at it. I don't want to do a whole lesson of it. I just want to roll. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really interested in open mats and a less structured environment. But then, you know, I can't, if it's somebody else's club, I can't tell them how to run a class. So, you know, I'll, I'll shut up and just, you know, sit quietly and wait my turn. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I feel like I'm really lacking an open mat environment at the moment. Do you um, not have one at uh, your place? It's, there is one, but it's in the day. And oh, it, so yeah. it's a bit hard to get to. You get your lunchtime um, crowd coming down and... Yeah, it's before the lunch class, basically. So I'm, I'm envious of your setup of having somebody to well, it, like that it, little closed loop you've I got. I think I'm very, can. very fortunate. I'm very lucky. Uh, you know, Jason's a very good purple belt. He's slightly bigger than me and stronger than me, so physically it's it's a challenge. But also technically, you know, he's as good as me in terms of mm. the stuff we can do. Mm. He's got numerous titles at the English Open and the European. He's got European. Uh, golds and stuff so you know he knows the game he's a very wily character and his wife Gosha um, she was actually my student in Bournemouth BJJ days as a white belt and during lockdown she just trained every day with her husband so he was kind of like teaching her yeah. so when I rejoined their fray she was like what the hell you're, yeah. like, you're killing me here yeah, yeah, just yeah. Got, and she learns a different way she doesn't like she doesn't seem to learn as efficiently when there's an instructor doing that this is our technique of the day you put your arm here blah, blah. she'll watch something on youtube i know it sounds wrong but she'll watch mm. something on youtube talk to her husband about it he'll have a point of view they'll drill it they'll come back and then use me as the guinea pig so yeah, i turn yeah. up going all right guys ready for a roll and she'll do some fantastic crazy thing yeah. And I go, what the? What, what the hell's this? this <laughs> she'll just go, oh, I just saw it on YouTube. It was like the technique of the day at, on this channel. I think, yeah. oh, YouTube. So I've, she's I've, picked I've, up a whole repertoire yeah. of techniques as well as developed her overall game just through regular training. Yeah. What's even worse for me is she's now joined uh, a club in Barnet. So she's training there regularly. She's now got a proper student. She's now like a proper student. And she's hanging with the other blue belts really, really well. She's coming back double, double more proficient than battle yeah, tested. Yeah. So yeah, my yeah. Mondays are now becoming a, a headache because yeah. uh, <laughs> I can't just ax my little, yeah, I'm a black belt. It's a black belt technique. No, no, no. It's, yeah, <laughs> it, it is, it's a very, very good competitive one hour of open mat rolling with yeah, those two. Great. And I'm really appreciative. So I, I've definitely benefited from that without a doubt. And to go back to a point you mentioned earlier, I, I've done the same thing as you. I've been to open mats and rolled for an hour non-stop, and it's not been a problem. Like because because it's more of a playful environment, whereas yeah. you, you, you do like the normal twenty-five minute, half an hour rolling session after a, no in your normal class, and it's split into six-minute rounds, and yeah, I'm kind of yeah. wasted after two rounds. Yeah, but but it's different level of intensity, it's, isn't it? It's the intensity, isn't it? Yeah. Open mat is is just so much more conducive to learning. I think um. it's it's you need that mixture. You need that mixture. Um, one thing I always like to mention to people who ask students who ask me, you know, what's the best video to watch? Who's the best? Uh, what's the best instructional to buy this and that? Because as you know, I review a lot of stuff, and um, you know, it's no secret anymore. A lot of people pick up new stuff by watching instructionals. That's how mm. how we spread our knowledge, right? And I say to them, well, you, you can learn a lot through instructionals. You've got to have the time to practice them, 
not necessarily drill them, but an opportunity to use them. I don't drill techniques at all. I never drill stuff. I just, when I see yeah, something, let's say, for example, <laughs> yeah, look, for example, K-Guard, right? I just watch it going, oh, that's the concept. And then I just try inspiring. And yeah, I'll too. fuck it up for the first few times. Next time I go, I'll try it again. And then maybe the third time, I'll get it. And then it's the beginning, and I'll start to get bits more and more of it. Mm. Like with Pritch stuff, I just watched the... I didn't even buy his Fanatics title. I just watched uh, whatever he put on YouTube, tried it, maybe got a glimpse of it working, but there's no way you're going to try it first time and it working properly like the way he shows it. Mm. But I thought there's something in there. Then I bought all his titles on the Fanatics. They were on daily deals anyway. Yeah, and I studied them really hard. <laughs> and that's why I write, write reviews. It forces me to watch videos and analyse them well enough to be able to write a review that would be useful to the reader. Um, and I used to do a lot of reviews. So I don't know if you followed my blog back in the yeah, day. But, uh, yeah, your, your review of his turtle thing was brilliant. Um, because, in fact, I, I used to refer, when I wanted to go back and check something, I didn't go back and check his instructional. I went back and checked your review. Oh. Because you actually you explained it in so succinctly, in, in a such yeah. a like a, a logical way that it it was for me it was better than actually watching him do it. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I I mean I guess as a writer, part of your job is to reinterpret a scenario, a situation, or a fact or an incident in a manner that you think fits your readers. Hmm. So so you'll do it with your with your in your industry, and I'll I'll do it with mine and I do read again going back to some of my older stuff I cringe because it, yeah. it was less of that but I think these days now I'm, I'm much better at communicating jujitsu in word form as mm. well as visuals to people who not necessarily white belts just to anyone who's interested in what I have something to say as it used to be about look at me I'm showing off with my my new DVD on this one and hey uh, you know this is a cool now I, I'm really, another thing is people used to send me stuff, they get like Seymour, would you like a free gi if you promise to review it? Yeah, sure, okay, I'll review it. Hmm. But you can never take the sort of biased bias out of that. No. So now I don't take anything for free, I'll buy it, and if I think it's worth reviewing, I'll review it, and I'll review exactly my words uh, the way I want to. So. Um, yeah, so all print stuff I bought, he's never given me anything. You know, I, I paid for defensive BJJ. Uh, the K-Guard stuff, I bought a ton of stuff. I wanted to like do a deep dive. I'm never going to buy anything on, on Deep Half because I'm not... <laughs> 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 yeah, well, I'm not going to waste my money. If you gave me 10 free DVDs right now and say, look, we heard what you said about Deep Half. We're convinced that you'd be... A no, I'm not going to do it. No, I've been there, no, I've done no. that. I've done years of it. I'm not going to... And anyway, I feel like we, we need a t-shirt. We need like no deep half zone t-shirt, don't we? <laughs> I could be taken the wrong way to the un uninformed though. <laughs> that's yeah, that's another problem you have as an artist, right? There's no way you can draw any jiu-jitsu technique without making it look somewhat sexual Yeah. to a non-informed viewer. Because every t-shirt I have, every rash guard, I show my sister who doesn't know anything about jiu-jitsu. She goes, why is that bunny rabbit effing kitty <laughs> they're not effing each other they're doing it's a it's a kezakatami do you not even know what because no it just looks like they're doing something rude so, I don't want you uh, coming wearing that when the kids are out so what you know you get, I get that and then you get certain especially when you're drawing anthropomorphic animals sometimes they can look a bit I don't know why 
they always end up looking a little phallic just because of the shape of the hair. <laughs> they look. Like if you if you took a silhouette of my latest orangutan, the shape yeah. is. I, I'll never be able to look phallic. at your your rush cards again. You, you've ruined this for me now. This is it. This is the end of my the drawing process. Is you have to mask out certain things, and when you, and you look at the pure silhouette, going, yeah. oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> I, I once drew. I once drew. I once drew a commission. It was a blue ringed octopus, but I did it all fancy schmancy style, where all the tentacles are weaving, and it mm. ended up looking like this. <laughs> yeah, with a dot in the middle and a line in the middle, <laughs> and then tentacles coming out. And my oh, wife said, dear. "You know, you've just drawn the female anatomy." And I was going, <laughs> no. Oh shit! Should I have? Yeah. So I showed a few other people going. Well, Seymour, to be honest, anything jiu-jitsu-y looks a bit vulgar and sexual if you think of it in that way. So just do your thing. So I've not had a problem in terms of comment on that one, but I don't put that in my portfolio, put it like that. No, you no. Know, there are some kids who follow me, so I don't really want to make a deal out of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I can never look at your artwork again now. The interesting world of the <laughs> jiu-jitsu illustrator. I tell you no. what, when I first started, right, in two th when I first started being known as an illustrator, let's say back in 2011, 2012, there was me and probably two or three others who were doing stuff regularly on the commission basis, like in a, at a professional level, i.e., you know, producing something for output to be sold on retail. I'm not saying that mm. no, I'm good or anything, but. And now there are, I look on Instagram, there are just so many people being hired, and, and not even just, they don't even, some of them don't even do jiu jitsu, they just love the sport but they're really good tattoo artists say or they're just really good illustrators or they're artists or they're they're into mma more but they can commission for jiu-jitsu stuff so there's a lot of uh, competition out there in terms of you know stuff for me but in a way that's a good thing i like to see myself as not uh, just one of the ogs and that's not even saying a lot because the scene so to speak that subculture of bjj is not that old is it it's probably what past 20 years um, yeah. Jiu Once the American surf culture got hold of it, I mean that that's old these days. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that counts that's as old. True. I mean, if you look back at some like uh, Art Suave videos, do you remember watching those? Uh, Art Suave yeah. videos were probably the first really cool light jujitsu lifestyle videos that were out and about. So they show just some dudes surfing, having a barbecue, turning up to training, rolling. Random Gracie would turn up, you know, then rolling. It was really, really cool. There was Art Swarov 1 and Art Swarov 2. Check them out. I think they're probably on YouTube. So you can check them probably out. Probably on YouTube, know. yeah. Yeah, they're really nice. But um, I remember watching those. Before I even did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I was, I was hearing a lot about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I got those on dodgy, grainy VHS tapes. And, and um, you know, it, that kind of suckered me into it. Yeah. I mean, my... I was never into the VHS era myself. That was before my time in jiu-jitsu. So uh, I, I was doing all sort of Chinese martial arts for, you know, about 20 years before jiu-jitsu. So that was what's, my VHS What's your view era. on that now then, with your experience of Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Um, I um, <laughs> It's funny, actually, that photo you took of me and Preet uh, rolling... Uh, well, I weren't rolling, I was just trying to choke him. Yeah. Uh, I showed it to my Tai Chi teacher... Um, <laughs> And he said, why are you cuddling Phil Mitchell? <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, I mean my, that, 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 my Tai Chi teacher is, is from a much, he, he was a, like a doorman, uh, a bouncer, security guard. He, he's got a Harley Davidson. He was, 
I wouldn't say he was in a biker gang, but he sort of hung around with those sort of guys. Um, so he's not your typical Tai Chi teacher. You know, he wasn't all about panpipes and flutes and <laughs> candles and things. I don't know what a typical Tai Chi look, teacher looks like. Well, I, I, it's more I'll like... Take your word for it. I mean, it's more like in the yoga world these days, isn't it? But, he, 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 you know, for him it was a sort of practical self-defence. And he was a jiu-jitsu black belt before he did Tai Chi, so... Um, Japanese traditional jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So, um, and it was back in the seventies he trained, and it was it was a different world then. It was much more rough and ready than you get these days. Um, so while MMA wasn't a thing, people actually just did fight each other with very little protection uh, or sure. rules or anything. And, and yeah. I, he, he's from that sort of era, so yeah. um, that was where I was coming from with Tai Chi. Like you, you kind of think it's a. But I mean, he also did like Chuli Fat Kung Fu and other stuff as well. It wasn't just Tai Chi. Um, but I, I, these days, I, I think it's practicing the solo forms is so good for your body after doing Jiu Jitsu. Really? Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, Jiu Jitsu, you wake up, you're all stiff. You do Tai Chi form a few times, you feel great. You, can, oh, you want to go about training. To yeah, I mean that's to me that's the that's my biggest benefit is it it puts me back in the frame of mind of where I want to go training again because my body feels good and I'm ready to go. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it it's 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 still I mean it's kind of grappling. It's stand up grappling really. So mm. I, I find that skills translate a lot. Like my hand fighting, as we were doing in the seminar from the back, the hand fighting. Everyone mm. I, everyone I did a. Like, you know, he had a partner and he kept saying swap partners. Everyone I did the stuff with, because go, oh, hand fighting is really good. And to me, it was, it's just Tai Chi push hands. It's, well, yeah. you, you know, you, well, you, you probably got to a level where you're not even thinking of it as Tai Chi. You're just, it's just part of your body movement. Yeah, I'm not even natural. thinking. I'm not even thinking. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just sticking to their hand. So wherever they move their hand, I just yeah. stick my hand because I'm used to doing that in Tai Chi. And it really translates well. I remember rolling fighting. at one of the grapplethons and, um, it was a chap who did Wing Chun and BJJ. Mm. Actually, Jun introduced me, saying, "Oh, meet so and so. He trains under so and so, and he's a he's a like quite a high level Wing Chun guy, but he's also a purple belt on BJJ." And he did this sort of similar thing where I couldn't actually grab him because he was just <laughs> deflecting. I just said, "Is deflecting. that Wing Chun?" He goes, "Probably. Don't know. I just do it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. so ingrained in his system. It wasn't like he was doing that. If it was a Wing Chun class, I'm sure he'd be told off for not doing it properly. But in BJJ's, yeah. he do, he did whatever was necessary. I thought, and I was kind of going, oh, because at the time I was a bit arrogant, thinking BJJ was the thing, right? All other mm. martial arts were shit. BJ, but I think over time you learn that it's not the whole truth. Don't no. don't don't believe the Gracie line about you know this traditional the traditional martial art is now defunct. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is the way. Yeah, there's that's a lot mar- we can that's, learn. That, that's marketing, isn't it? And everyone yeah, gets but there's so much we can learn from other things. Absolutely, yeah. Like my love of wrist locks, right? I'm all through, I haven't done wrist locks until I was a black belt, and then I'm remembering all the wrist lock katas we did as a Japanese jiu-jitsu black belt. And effectively, it's the same movement. We're just putting yes. it into a app, applying it in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu context. But you know, wrist lock is a wrist lock, right? There's only so many. Mm. So, so I think there's a there's a lot. It's it's up to us really to siphon out the crap, the wheat from the chaff. Yeah, exactly. And what I find is that if I, I don't really teach Tai Chi anymore. I used to teach it a little bit. Um, I used to do privates as well, which I preferred because teaching a class is is a like you have to teach the 
the start of the form and then somebody lasts four lessons they leave and somebody else comes in you've got to start again at the beginning oh, it's, and it's, it's just yeah. soul destroying uh, can't I just couldn't take it anymore um, <laughs> but I taught privates and that's much better because then you you know you build on last week's thing every time and and you can just keep going forward which is much better but then COVID happened and I stopped teaching and I just didn't really get back into it again afterwards um, mm. but after injuring my hip in jiu-jitsu last week I've been doing a lot of tai chi like more than I normally would do for its sort of restorative you know it it's, it gently stretches all the muscles that are overstretched in my hip now um, and I thought well do you know what I should teach this again and I I contacted my office work and uh, I might try and do a lunchtime class try and get them to oh. like hire me as an instructor because I'm there anyway at lunchtime. What you've highlighted is that is that thing I talked about with the BJJ is that during lockdown I, I wasn't really feeling it about in terms of coming back to running a club. But then when so, when something just slightly tweaks, you, mm. you get back onto the path and then you think, oh, I'm really enjoying this again or I really want to do this again. And that's Yeah, exactly. You find your passion for it again, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't take much. But we it's we get distracted easily, isn't it, these days with with so many things going on in our lives. And also if we're doing something day in, day out for too long you you become bored of it don't you it's, it's, in a, it's there's, there's definitely that yeah there's definitely that in it but, um, but I'm, I'm definitely not bored of teaching I you know I, I really look forward to each time I turn up to the mat and seeing who turns up and just you know a lesson plan quite because you know, I've got the time only twice a week and um, you know I've got time to really lesson plan what would be suitable for this you've got a plan A and plan B lesson plan so your plan A yeah, would yeah. be your perfect progression of techniques and plan yeah. b would be if so-and-so doesn't turn up that you expected to turn up and so-and-so asked d- questions that you didn't so you go to plan b and i've often had to resort to a plan c so i'm <laughs> thinking on the fly like the last yeah. um jun's last artemy seminar i didn't plan the seminar at all i just turned up saying right guys you we, you were there weren't you the footnote one no the one the one after it was his most recent yeah. camp one. Oh, okay yeah, I turn up saying, right, what do you guys want to learn? Because I've got four or five instant, ready-to-go seminar things in my head. Right. Like if anyone plucks me off the street, I could teach. So like I said, you can do foot locks part B. So there's loads of stuff I didn't teach first time. You can do, I can do wrist locks. I can do um, more spider guard stuff. And then I just threw in, or oh, I can show you what I know about the print stuff. And everyone shot their hand up. Went, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I'll do that. So I quickly ran through what I interpreted to be Prit's five positions, which I think we can now call six positions because a mini baby bridge. Or six and a half, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then hawking two. Stick, <laughs> if you claw this stick, then it's six and a half and three quarters or <laughs> Yeah. He did it. He doesn't he mention did, he the stick much, but he I, mentioned I found the stick quite funny. He did the stick on day two actually. Uh, and he, he's, yeah. he's got a he had a stick two point oh or something. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I think it was basically going from mini baby bridge into stick back to mini baby bridge which that somehow made because you're quite linear aren't you in baby in mini baby yes, bridge you're quite yeah. straight so i can imagine just yeah yeah but it, that it, it made a change to the stick in some subtle way oh. that i can't quite remember but mm, you know it, okay. i think if you just did it you would naturally do the stick a little bit differently yeah um, but yeah we did that and we did we did we also did um turning round in side back control so that you were in their guard and how to do that, which is a bit oh. stick-like. Yeah. So, as in, you don't you don't break the hooks away. You just right. turn you turn within you rotate 
within their, yes. their back control completely. Are you in Mini Baby Bridge or Hawking? You can't be you in Hawking. S- you start. You start in. I think you start in Hawking actually. So. Okay. Uh, the underhook t- underhook top side. Right. Yeah, you start yeah. under underhook top side, and then you spin within their guard. So you turn into okay. them. Yeah. yeah, and then then after that we did underhook bottom side, which is much harder. Um, and he didn't said he he jokingly said I don't really have an answer to this. I just want you to go and experiment and just send that's us off for enough. ten minutes to try and have I a like go. I like that in actually. It. I think that's refreshing. There were a couple of times on day one where you said like, I don't have an. Well, answer what happened this. was a couple of the guys came back with really good solutions, and he oh. said, "Right, I'm stealing that. I will try and credit you, oh. but I'm going to steal that because that's really good." A guy that's called John, um, shout out to John at the seminar. Um, he was training with a uh, presumably his girlfriend or a girl who was wearing a full body Miyakatsu outfit. Oh, the tiger <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I don't know if they knew I, it was me because nobody talked to me. <laughs> nobody approached me. They're probably too shy. They're, oh my god, it's you him! Think? I can't. I can't talk to him. It's him. That's not. I'm not really kind of a person to be shy to, is it? It's just little me. <laughs> yeah, Guys, if you, you see me at a seminar, don't be shy. Just grab me and say, "Or oh, you don't see more meerkatsu fella." I go, oh, "Yes," and that'll be it. <laughs> like your drawings. I have no airs <laughs> and graces, honestly. <laughs> you see me. Well, you were so in disguise though, because you were wearing yeah, non- that's true non-descriptive clothing. So. Yeah, the story to that is, and I don't mind saying this, is that I recently I've suffered a bit of. Um, eczema on my skin or what I believe to be eczema or so my dermatologist tells me and it's it's I'm just trying to reduce some of the chafing that you get with some of the seams on the rash guards and the geese and that sort of thing Hmm. so I started wearing uh, bamboo fiber and uh, ultra rich cotton organic cotton stuff which is smoother on the skin but unfortunately they soak up sweat like anything so it feels like wearing a wet towel whereas rash guards wick it away yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've yet to find a, a good solution. Unfortunately, you can't really print on bamboo very well. Oh, can't you? That's a shame. No, you can't. I was going to so say. I, I was thinking. Yeah, well, I was thinking. You know, Pandas, nice bamboo. A, yeah, it would be nice if I made a, a line, a lineup, a brashka. But it's just, I've seen other companies doing this. Awful. So just you can't. You just can't. You, you know, you. The whole point of bamboo is supposed to be more eco-friendly because the yeah. it's it's cheaper more environmentally friendly to grow bamboo but unfortunately it does use a lot of chemicals in the processing although allegedly the factories are improving that aspect mm. um, but it's certainly less pesticides and fertilizers involved in growing the bamboo as a people thinking bamboo is like what the pan, panda eats but it's bamboo for industry is a it's quite a different product I okay. did botany at university so I get quite geeky about these things mm. um, uh, yeah, and um, it's it's still at the end of the day melted down and reformulated into a, an almost synthetic fibre, a bit like polyester, and then mm. that's woven into the garment. So people think they're getting a natural fibre, and it's, it's it's they would say it's semi-synthetic. Anyway, the point is, it is actually smoother on the skin. It's quite nice if you have sensitive skin. It's quite quite good to wear. So I use that for my. Uh, so what about cotton? Does that not? Is that not equally all right. natural? The, the problem with. Yeah, the problem with cotton is it, it doesn't hold its shape to people grabbing. Ah, right, okay. It gets very, very much, much heavier when it's wet. It doesn't mm. wick the sweat away. So wearing that under a gi is torture. You must have worn the t-shirt at some point. You know, yeah. Under a yeah. gi and just thought, this yeah, is it, horrible. It's hot, it's hot, isn't it? You feel yeah, hot. Yeah, but uh, a bamboo fibre 
doesn't quite have that. It's got all the benefits of uh, lycra and polyester and all the benefits of cotton, plus it's allegedly antimicrobial, so it won't smell. Um, it doesn't have a funk after many you know, months of usage, allegedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's just me. Um, I, you know, I still wear rash guards and stuff, and obviously I, I make them, I promote them. There's nothing wrong with wearing them, it's just for me. Uh, I just have to temper it a bit from, with my training. Mm. And a five-hour seminar of print, I figure, you know, against people I don't know, they might rough my skin up. I think I'd just yeah. wear something a bit safer. That was the thing, wasn't it? Is, is he taught for five hours. But the, sem the, the day lasted seven. And he yes. he taught through all the breaks as yeah. well. I don't think he, he had any break. I never saw him go to the toilet or have a drink of water. No. He just, it was a Maybe he is a machine. We've discovered his secret. He is, he is a machine. He must be. I saw him have a coffee in the on the second day. Somebody oh. got him a coffee from downstairs and brought it up. The visage has cracked. Yeah, but that was the only thing I saw him drink. Didn't see him drink water. By the way, just off topic, I started watching. Do you do you like? Are you a fan of uh, animation animations? Because um, some of them, yeah. Do you watch the Netflix Love, Death, and Robots? The that one. Yes. I, I watched they, the first one. I've just realised they released. Uh, season three, so I started watching a couple of those, and one of them has a really interesting premise, in that the but I'm a bit because I work in a, a science-based company, I'm a bit of mm. a space geek as well. I'm a geek on lots of things. <laughs> uh, this was really interesting bit of science fiction. It, it this uh, astronaut landed on the moon of Io, which is one of the big moons of Jupiter, Jupiter? I believe. Yeah. And because it's very electrically charged. Uh, um, uh, moon, which it's it's very connected to Jupiter because Jupiter is so massive, the gravitational was But the way it worked, so the 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 storyline was that Io is not actually a planet; it's a machine. The way that the the uh, electricity flows around it, and the way the magnetic poles work, it becomes a a, a machine. And I thought that was really really fascinating. I thought you'd like be a, into that like kind a, of like thing, a big battery or something, like something like that. I don't want to yeah. spoil it if you want to watch it, but it, I thought that yeah. was one of the best little shorts I've seen for a long time really you know good sci-fi should really like you talked about your philosopher philosophers uh, text uh, thing should really fire the imagination yeah you sh it shouldn't have to be described so explicitly for you you should have that room for your imagination and I think jujitsu is kind of the same you shouldn't be prescribed the technique and it must be done this way because you're gonna do it differently to me because we're both different body types mm. and uh, there has to be allowing room for creativity and, and a bit of imagination. I think Preet yeah. allows that, you know, Preet, Preet pretty much says in a lot of videos, like, I'll leave you to interpret how you want to do it, but this is how I do it, and it has to be precise in that respect, but after that, what's his phrase? Just go YouTube it. <laughs> yeah, here's, yeah. Here's, the, here's the first bit, you can figure out the rest. So I think, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's well, what I, I like though, I like that. I want to be allowed I think he was saying that, that like, if, if, you sub, if you use my stuff and survive, you get in a position where suddenly all the YouTube techniques are actually yeah. possible. Instead yeah. of yeah. like, how do you get there to do that technique? Like, yeah, he, he he's like the gateway to YouTube. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> finally. Although there's that Raúl bloke, um, one of his students, Raúl, who um, the leg locking guy, who entered that tournament and used the, the preach system, plus leg locks. I don't know if you've seen Beautiful. that video. Yeah. No. No. I, I reviewed his stuff and. Um, it was it was it really opened my eyes i just started using leg locks from turtle just trying to bait them into it and from not running man not hawking one of the others panda i think 
against my training partners, but I didn't know if it was just me and my specific. So when I saw him do it at an elite level, I thought, oh, there's something there. Because if you think about it, when you're turtling, and if they're in the right position, you can see their feet. And if you can see their feet and touch them, you've got a Yeah, well, that's what Tellers used to do back in the day, wasn't it, from Turtley? Like, if their foot was between your legs, he'd roll for that knee, knee bar. bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, that, like, that was... The, the beginnings were there. I, mean, I, I was always... Before Preet, I was always into Tellers. And I just... I'd watch him roll and compete, and I just loved... He's so relaxed and, like, uncaring Very. about what, what happened to him. And I was like, I want to be like that. I don't know what he's doing, but... That is what have I want to be like. Have you seen his instructionals? He's so laid back when he teaches. Yeah, I have. So I, I, you, I've got a couple of them. Definitely <laughs> will fall asleep by the end of it. <laughs> if you want a bedtime story, just put him on and you just be going, you wake up and octopus guard, blah, blah, blah. Oh, then we do this very, and then yeah, we do this. dry and it's like, yeah. wow. <laughs> but he, he just seems to be like floating through life, doesn't he, Tanners? And then he gets on a jiu-jitsu mat and he doesn't seem to change he just sort of floats he's, he's through definitely the world. a pioneer a pioneer uh old school pioneer that's for sure and he deserves more recognition for sure lovely um, well it's been a pleasure to talk to you that's fantastic yeah. anytime mate um if you think of an interesting topic that we haven't covered today i'm happy to do another but i think uh, man i feel like we could just chat you know <laughs> we could just do another definitely. one well next time next time months. i go up to bristol pop down to the graphathon or one of the seminars and stuff and we'll hang around afterwards for you know for a bit yeah i'll um i'll, I'll come to the grapplethon that's not it's in june isn't it all right mate thank you very much yeah pleasure and uh catch you very soon all right cheers bye take care bye Thank you for joining us. You can find out more about the Tai Chi Notebook podcast at www.thetaichinotebook.com. You can support us by giving our podcast a positive review on iTunes and our page a like on Facebook. Just search for the Tai Chi Notebook to find us. Until next time, enjoy your training.